praise be to God. As we gather together, opening God's word, we're in a series looking at Jesus in the different writings in the Old Testament. We wrapped up Ruth last week, and Chris Blake, one of our elders, did a fantastic job really honing in on, on the simplicity and yet the profoundness of God's plan and his promise to bring a redeemer in, in the really nuances and, and ordinary um, ups and downs of life. And as we see in, in Jeremiah, this was not a guy that other prophets wanted to hang around. He had contemporaries in his day and, and no one really wanted to go get lunch or play golf with, with Jeremiah. He, he would often bring about the, the wrath and the judgment and Zephaniah, Habakkuk, Daniel, and Ezekiel were his contemporaries. And he saw, prophesied and saw the destruction of Jerusalem and the judgment that was coming against Judah where they would be brought into captivity in Babylon. And if you've been around Life Community Church and, and you heard John share just the challenges of this text, I've personally avoided reading it often and teaching on it because it, it's one of those verses that I've grown up seeing in Bible bookstores under a majestic picture of Yosemite Valley. And I've just been like the spirit of discernment's always been, that's wrong. And I'm like, but it's God's word. And it's like, God has this plan to prosper you, not to harm you. And here's this beautiful buck. And I'm like, should I shoot the buck or do I eat it? Or do I just climb half dome? Like, what's the biblical? I don't know. I'm waiting for a commentary to explain how half dome goes with Jeremiah 29:11. But somehow, that's the only context I've seen that verse. And then life happens, and and horrible things happen. And then you re, you remember as a kid because I'm super visionary, visual. All I see is is the those things they had in the Bible stores in the 90s, where you'd look at them, and all of a sudden there'd be like a a ship or a lion's face and my friends could always see it and they're like, you don't know, see the wave or the ship in there? I'm like, no, all I see is these weird colors and different things and I'm supposed to stare at it and it's going to pop out at me. And there's this beautiful picture of Yosemite with Jeremiah 2011. Like, I don't know. And then I, I have a flashback to that when I'm talking with someone who's, who's lost a child or whose spouse has died. And it's like, I don't know if this is God's plan to prosper you and not harm you. I don't really know how this fits. And, and we're left today kind of with that look maybe on our face or feeling in our heart of what, what is this and, and how does this fit into God's redeeming plan? A comedian said when you, when you notice a dad's face on vacation, he kind of has that look. That look like, what are we doing and why am I here? And why did we just read this? Um, and, and the comedian said, well, it's because the dad on vacation is confused how this is supposed to be fun because it's not his idea of fun. He's not deep sea fishing with the boys. He's not out golfing. He's in this long line at Disneyland going, how are we going to afford this? Like, I don't, this is not my idea of fun, but we're doing it. And I like being with family. That's good. But in this context, I don't know. And that's kind of the sentiment I get when I read this. And, and I'm excited because as I've studied and dove deep, there's a lot here that I hope I can give you some some context that'll help as we end see Jesus in a more clear and compelling way to love the city and pray for the city and be present in the city. Um, even in our, our context that as I had a friend from a true city, I didn't travel much as a kid, but he was from East Bay. He visited Atascadero and was just 
going on and on about how horrible it was and it was like a township and he's like, do you even have a like, is there an infirmary here or is there a doctor? Like, is there, you have a hospital? No, there's no hospital here. There's like, the roads aren't even half paved. True, they're still not paved. But uh, Paso and, you know, slow, they have a little bit more legit streets, you know. So there is kind of a city-esque feel. Uh, and so there is this, this theme though where the Jews were supposed to worship God and they're in this, season of despair and confusion, much like maybe we are in, and it's interesting how how there's a lot of similarities here, but the Jews were supposed to worship God, follow God, and they didn't. They ended up going to these buildings they called synagogues, and and a lot of what Jeremiah, like Jesus, was calling out was, you guys go and you sing these songs, but then you steal from the widows, and you take advantage of the orphans, and the, the sojourners, and the exiles, you're taking advantage of them, and God's told you to care for them, like we were learning about in Ruth. God has this plan and these rules set up to, to glorify God through your good works, but you're doing evil works and it's only hurting and hindering, not helping people. And you're, you're acting like you're good, but you're really bad and you're, you're wrong. And so Jeremiah didn't have very many friends. He was called the weeping prophet because no one wanted to hang out with him. And God always met him and was like, hey, tell them about how horrible they are and how I'm gonna judge them. And Jeremiah's like, sweet. I already don't have any friends. Now, like, I have negative friends because now they're my enemies and they want to hurt me and kill me. And he got locked up in the, the, the locks, you know, and, and, and they'd, like, make fun of you and throw stuff at you. And, and, and Jeremiah got thrown in a cistern. It was just a horrible, miserable... He never saw one person go, hey, Jeremiah, you know, sin does hurt me and others. I should worship God with you. Can, I, can you teach me how to do that? No one did that in his whole time being a prophet. And he just saw destruction left and right. And so when Jeremiah, not a popular prophet, weeping, brought this statement saying, guys, Jerusalem, Judah's going to fall. You're going to be sent into captivity in Babylon. What we see in the context here in verse two of just before we read, this was when King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The reason they departed was because Babylon had conquered Jerusalem and Babylon conquered most nations. And when they did that, they would either oppress or enslave the, the nations. But in Jerusalem, they conquered them and then they set up this kind of stand-in governor and then a Jew and his buddies came and they overthrew and it was a rebellion and bloody and a huge mess. So Babylon had to send their armies back and conquer Jerusalem again, besieged them. And when they did that, they said, all right, this time we've learned our lesson. And this is where Jeremiah 29, in, in context, when he wrote this, because they took all of the students who had a 4.0 or higher, so I would have been left in Jerusalem. All my buddies and friends, they would have taken them to Babylon. So 4.0 or higher, you get to go to Babylon. All the CEOs and managers and leaders, they took all the leaders of, of industry, and that's where it says the eunuchs, the queen mother, the officials, the metal workers, they took them all out of Jerusalem and left the lower class, if you will, and and the not quite smart enough or good enough just to kind of hang out in Jerusalem and and, and, and work the McDonald's and pump the gas or whatever they had. And and they did that because they learned their lesson, which is the first point is when they they conquered a people and they expelled them and they, they oppressed them, they came back angrier. 
And when you enslave people, they, they found out people don't like that. They don't like to be enslaved. They found out that when you oppress people and, and make them live on the other side of the tracks, they don't like that either. They, they actually take offense to that. It becomes more of a, a fuel to their anger that they've been already conquered and now you're treating them less than. And so they realized that the third option that a lot of people have realized when they, when they comment on nations taking over other nations, how, how, did, how do you deal with these different cultures and backgrounds? And so they, they, they took all of the upper class in, in hopes that they would conform them to Babylonian lifestyle, to their culture, so that in a few generations there was no more Jews. That was the goal, that was the hope, to destroy the Jews by assimilation, by conformity into the Babylonian life. And so they took them to Babylon to the city, and the letter in verse 3 was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and so all those names whom the Zedekiah king of Judah sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon, and it said, so this letter was sent from these men, son of Hilkai, whom Zedekiah king of Judah sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon. Jeremiah was left in Jerusalem to stand in and so to, to talk with that, that governor. And Jeremiah wrote this letter to the Jews saying, hey guys, listen, here's what's up. They're going to want to get you in the city. They're going to want you to be conformed and to assimilate. And here's, here's why. They said, oh, you can, you can live with us. You can have all the best jobs as long as you become like us. That's why the Babylonians, when they took these unruling nations, instead of enslaving them, they brought them into the city, gave them the, ed the best education, which if you read Daniel, whose name means God is my judge, they gave him a pagan name, Belteshazzar, which means my God is Bel, one of the Babylonian gods. Daniel and his colleagues, obviously they were the 4.0 students that got to go to the city, all of their other friends that were 3.0 3 or less, they're, they're left there. And so do you see what the goal is here? The strategy was to assimilate, was to get them to conform and leave their view of God behind and, and, and join with the Babylonian culture, worshiping the Babylonian gods. And so we see that they want the money, they want the power to be appealing because they've looked at other cities and go, okay, humans want power, they want money and they want they want control and they want they really have a desire for sex and so in the city they said hey you can have all this you can worship these other gods you have all the money you have all the power you have education you could live with whoever you want to live sleep with whoever you want to sleep with and so so then jeremiah writes this and says i know your view and i know what maybe we've talked about before and what god said about the babylonians but he, he's saying there's three ways to go about being taken into exile. Number one, don't do good in the city for your sake. So don't conform, don't assimilate. God actually refers to this in verse six when he says increase in number there, do not decrease. That's what the Babylonians wanted. They wanted the Jews to decrease and they wanted them to, to conform and assimilate to Babylonian culture. This was one agenda and God says, no, no, no. Don't decrease but increase there. So the, the tension was if you conform, if you say, okay, I'm gonna leave worshiping the one true God and worship these false gods, I get the education, I get the power, I'll climb the ladder, I'll step on who I need to step on, and I'll use it all for my 
purpose, which that's kind of, in the Western world, we're selfish, we're self-seeking, and so that would have appealed. But in this context, it's family first. It's not me-centric, it's family-centric and, and your tribe. And so they would have said, okay, are we as a family going to conform? Are we as a family going to assimilate and leave worshiping the one true God and worship the God and live the way they live in the city? This is going to be challenging. This is a challenge that many families are, are facing with, with school and with jobs. And, with, and a lot of people say, hey, we're, we're moving out of California. And this, this, this mentality, it's interesting as I have pastors friends in, in Wyoming that say, man, everyone that's moved to Wyoming has this mentality of, I don't want to conform to California, so I'm leaving. And it's like the same cultures in Wyoming or Idaho. Like it's still there. It's still the city. You can't escape it. So what are you, are you going to conform or are you just going to try and run? And that's where the second option is, right? You find your tribe. Don't do good for your tribe. Don't, don't be that that tribalistic or, or family, and then you despise other tribes. We, we see this happen over COVID. It became really clear. You, you listen to certain podcasts. You listen to certain YouTubes. You listen to certain radio stations. All of a sudden, it's very clear whose tribe you're a part of. It's not just your, your baseball hat team brand, but it's, hey, these are my people, and if you don't align with these tenets, then you're a bigot, racist, homo. You're, we're just against everything unless you agree with me. We can't we can't be friends. And that's where a lot of the, the false prophets we see stepped up and really said, hey, here's our agenda. Here's our tenets. If you agree with us, then you're going to be against them. And Jeremiah heard from the Lord and wrote this to, to go into Babylon as exiles, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Don't just tolerate it. Don't just hang out in a tent in a park, but be be fully ingrained in the community, in the city, for the good of the city. And, and this is the agenda of, of tribalism. The Jewish prophets, besides Jeremiah, the false prophets, had the agenda of tribalism. They were making prophecies and they were telling the exiles what to do. In verse 8, we see God says, don't listen to the other prophets. They're telling you things I didn't tell them to tell you. We see this all over YouTube. People are like, I had a dream last night and this is going to happen. This guy's going to be president. This guy's not going to be. Jesus is going to come back here. It's the same exact thing. Nothing is new under the sun. It's amazing when I read this. It's like, okay, that helps. We, we see that it's the same problem. And God's like, I didn't tell him to tell you that. Stop listening to them. Here's what I'm telling you. If you go back to chapter 28, what the prophets were saying, Hananiah, one of the prophets said, thus saith the Lord, in two years, God will break the yoke of Babylon and you will come back. In other words, he's trying to predict an invasion or an earthquake or something where God will destroy the city of Babylon. And then as judgment on Babylon, he will also save his people and bring them back. So the false prophet was saying, don't move in, don't get in there, stay out on this canal where there's a Jewish settlement and stay with your tribe, stay with your enclave, and stay against the Babylonians because they don't agree with all the things we agree with. Stay against them. Don't go near them. And you can go and, and work and, and make money and make deals and increase your tribe, increase your money, increase your power, which is what we do now, right? You hear all the time people go to the city, make a bunch of money, make a name for themselves, and then they go retire in Florida. So they're the grandparents with the yacht on the golf course, but they lived in a city and now they retired to the countryside or the country club, right? Like that's the same 
thing we do with, with tribalism is, oh, okay, I'll tolerate the city long enough to make a name for myself, make money, and then I'll retire kind of in my own little defensible bunker bug out deal and, and then I can protect against zombies with my zombie wire or whatever it is. Like that's still kind of what the theme is, which is interesting. And so they were saying, no, don't go into the city, number one, and, and conform. Don't be out here on a canal just with your own tribe against them, but really, really go in with this purpose to pray for the peace and the prosperity for the people of the city. Because the false prophets were saying, don't move into the city, exploit the city, use the city, disdain the city. And the Babylonians said, no, no, come on in, take all the jobs, love the city, just as long as you conform and and believe what we believe, then we'll accept you. And God doesn't do either. God says, no, 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 neither of those. Don't conform. In Romans 12, Paul's saying, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, knowing what God's will is, his perfect will and his pleasing will. And this is it. God's saying, thus saith the Lord, go into the city and pray for the prosperity. Don't be tribal. Don't say, well, here's what we believe. And if you agree with us, then we'll accept you. And if you disagree, then you're our enemy. And we're going to attack you and defame you and defund you and deplatform you. That's how the world works. But God says, no, no, no. Tell the Jewish exiles not to conform and not to do tribalism. Instead, tell them they should go in in verse five through seven, which blows my mind because if I'm honest, I read the setup, there's, especially when COVID hits, like, hey, who's my tribe? Like, if I have to go over here, what am I gonna give up? And if I go over to this tribe, what am I gonna give up? And, and, and feeling that tension where most people, that was the narrative. It's like, well, most people are in the middle. It's like, well, duh, obviously, because we're trying to figure out what tribe we belong to. That's why we're in the middle. We don't know. And God's word says, no, no, no follow me. Jesus never said, hey, follow that teaching or that teaching was close, let me, he said, follow me. Pick up your cross daily, come follow me. This new way, the true way to live. And he says, go build your home, move in right in the middle of the city. Settle down there a long time, raise your families, plant gardens, prosper in the city, increase in number, don't decrease. Seek the peace and prosperity of Babylon. Seek the peace and prosperity of Las Vegas. Seek the peace and prosperity of San Francisco. Seek the peace and prosperity of LA. Seek the peace and prosperity of the Central Coast. Okay, so it's not about the tribe. It's not about conforming. It's about following Jesus in the city he's called us to. And that's the third point. Don't go into the city for your sake. Don't go into the city for your tribe's sake. Work in the city for the city's own good. Do good. Pursue good. Desire the good of the city for, the, for God's glory and our good. The city was full of idols, filled with false gods, and God has the audacity to say, I know you grew up in Jerusalem where there was only one true God, and if anyone had the, had the audacity to put up a shrine where you s- sacrifice bananas, to this false God, you could tear the idol down on your way to work and you were justified and everyone would applaud you. And now you walk down the streets in the city where there's gods everywhere and you can't touch them because you'll be killed if you do. And you're in that that tension, but seek the peace and prosperity of that city. Pray to the Lord for it. For if it prospers, you prosper. It must have been so astounding. It must have just 
turn their stomachs and their heart and their face must have been, wait, what? No, we're supposed to pray against that, not for that. God, what are you saying? Jeremiah, that's why we don't listen to you. I'm turning on this news channel, right? Like, who's going to listen to Jeremiah? This guy's a loser. I'm not going to pray. No, this canal's awesome. There's great fishing right here. I'm not going to go into that city. That's gross. I want you to seek the prosperity and peace of the whole city. I want you to pray for the city. Love it. Cheer for it. It's astounding. It blows our minds. But we see a helpful context of what the city represents. Because as we read scripture, as you learn the context and the history backdrop of what Jeremiah is writing is, is the Jews are being drawn into God's redeeming plan. Saying it's, it's not about Babylon as the physical city. It's, yes, it's written to them for their experience, but it's written for us in our own understanding of how we are supposed to be viewed as exiles. Any commentator, biblical teacher, as we look at Jesus and having our identity in him, we're, we are the exiles waiting for our Savior to come get us. We're, we're in the world, but not of it. And so, as we've never taught on this here, it definitely is the introduction to the ideas that we've been talking a lot about and pursuing and dreaming about being a church that's known by our love for the city. We've been saying, hey, I want to know God, which means to have eternal life. I want to grow in that relationship in the city, in a community that I'm seeking peace, praying for prosperity among our neighbors from our life groups so we'd impact them. And then we'd go to the whole world and figure out how to get the gospel from our neighborhood to the entire central coast to the entire state and world. And it was all introduced here through, through this pivot of Jeremiah 29 saying, hey, I know it's going to be really hard. I know that this is a great mission experience for you, but don't worry, I got great plans. And they're not to harm you, they're to prosper, but it might not always feel that way. It might not always look that way. And yet, as we read the Bible, we're helped with St. Augustine as he read the Bible and he wrote this book called City of God and he said, look, basically we could summarize the Bible if you've never read the whole thing or maybe you're unfamiliar. Basically, he says, you could summarize the whole Bible this way. You could say it's a tale of two cities. There's the city of God and the city of man. And he says, for example, in Isaiah 26, There it talks about the city of man, the earthly city, the lofty city. It's called the city of man, which is characterized by pride, operates on the basis of human pride, where people go into human city to make a name for themselves, get recognition, to get a self, to find that recognition through power and achievement. Then I'll know I'm somebody once I get this book deal, once I get this accolade and these awards, then I'll make it, make a bunch of money, and then I can go live out my days worshiping me of how good I am and how great I am. That's man city. Because that's the basis for the earthly man city, it's a place of exhaustion, oppression. It's so exhausting being in that rat race or climbing the ladder and the, the anxiety of figuring out who to step on next and make sure you don't get stepped on as you're trying to run that race and climb that ladder of needing to get the recognition, to get the, the next resume slot filled out so you can move up and, and advance in your career so you can feel that you're somebody. It's exhausting, and we feel it. Tomorrow's Monday. How many of you walked into Sunday going, man, what do I have to fix tomorrow? What went wrong? What do I need to do? And how do I need to work harder? And is this person thinking about this with me? And it's exhausting. And so you see the city of, of, of man 
and the earthly city, it's, it's full of oppression. We're working so hard to get up the ladder. We're working so hard to put food on the table and, and the oppression and exhaustion just continues in the earthly city. And then you see the city of God where it doesn't work on the principle of pride, but of peace. And it's not on our work, but it's on Jesus' work on the cross. In this, this city, within the city, we see this idea, because it's not a place of exhaustion, but joy. Because the people of the city of God have God's grace. And the city of God is a place where you're not looking to get, but give. You're not looking to consume, but create and, and serve one another. And so you see with, with, with sex in God's city, a man only gets married when he submits and, and, and agrees to serve his wife. And a wife only gets married when she agrees to serve her husband, and then that's enjoyed. And in power, it's not power, it's peace. It's saying, I want to serve you. I want to put you as a priority. In this series we went through about marriage, we flipped the triangle upside down because in the world, in men's city, we want to, we want to climb the ladder and see who can outserve. But really, it's as we pursue Christ, surrendering and humbling ourselves, as, as Paul tells the church in Philippi, to humble yourselves and think about people more importantly than you and to think about others' needs before your own. As Jesus humbled himself, becoming the form of a servant, not counting equality with God to be grasped, he showed us what humility really is. And so in the city of God, we see it's, it's not by this power of what we do. It's, it's what Jesus did through his power, laying his life down on the cross, giving us grace. We don't earn our way into God's city. We receive entrance into God's city through grace, through believing in Jesus' payment. So it's not exhaustion. It's joy. It's rest. It's not oppression, but it's blessing. It's a place where justice truly is experienced by feeling this justice we see that it costs. As we see Jesus, it costs him his life. As Jeremiah was saying, hey, go into the city and pray for peace and do this. It's only a few chapters later in 31, 33 that we, we hear about this new covenant where God says, hey, you broke the old covenant, you disobeyed, I'm gonna do a new covenant, it's gonna be way better. Whoever seeks me can find me. I'm gonna put my laws in their heart, alluding to his spirit, putting in our heart, empowering us, informing us on what we should do to love God and love others. And, and it's this new covenant language that Jesus comes and, and fulfills and explains what the new covenant is. It's his death and resurrection to forgive us of sin. Instead of, in the city of man works on this principle, your life to benefit me. You live to serve me. But in the city of God, it's my life to serve you. I came to give. Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. That's the city of God. Jesus is coming into the world saying, look, here's the reality. It's not going to a synagogue. It's not going to Jerusalem. You can bring the city of God into the city of man. You can bring heaven into Babylon if you pray for the peace, if you seek its welfare in verse seven where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare, you will find your welfare. All through the Bible, you have these two cities, very often called Jerusalem and Babylon, but clearly they're earthly city and heavenly city. And up until Jeremiah's time, you read the Bible and, and you get the impression that we live in the human city and it feels exhausting. 
And we see that Christ died on the cross. He was dying for those different from him. And so as we see this command that was written to them and for us, how do we seek the welfare in the city that we are exiles in? And we see that we're to be what, what Jesus talks about on the Sermon on the Mount. We're to be lights in a dark world that no one lights a lamp and then covers it up, but we're, we're to be cities on a hill and that others would see our good works and glorify God. And we have to be present in the city for others to see good works. We have to be praying for the prosperity of the city in order for our hearts to be open to opportunities to serve as a coach or to serve in, in different volunteer capacities. And it's been interesting to, to see just this idea of Jesus dying on the cross and was dying for those different than him. And yet he loved them and invites them in and how we're called to go and do that because we're full of his love that we would go into the city and love those different from us. So number one, be present. Seek peace and, and, and reason and look for God to give you that hope and that purpose as we see that God sent his people to the city to seek its peace, to look for peace. And, to, and that peace is the Hebrew word shalom, which means order, harmony, happiness. It means that all is right in the city. And that's what they were trying to do in Jerusalem and thought that it could only happen in Jerusalem. That's why the Jews were like, there's no way we're going to Babylon. We're just going to hang out on the river and hopefully the fish will last until Jesus gets us out of here. Like God's going to, he'll bring us out. But the command was, no, go into the city, pray for peace, seek the welfare, do good, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. God commands Christians to do anything and everything to further public good, seeking the peace of the city, being a good neighbor, shoveling sidewalk, clearing the mess out of the, the roadway when a storm comes in planting a tree, feeding the poor, picking up trash on the side of the road. It's interesting how volunteering and volunteerism, someone said to me, hey, you know, you, there's a chair you can actually sit on the sideline and watch your kid's team. You don't have to coach. It's like, that'd be awesome, but there is never enough coaches. And as I was telling CJ, I'm like, man, I think we should probably look at coaching or refing and being in the city and seeking it's good. And again, I've never really study this, but this language just has been coming out as we've been opening God's word and God's spirit's been teaching us. And here it's plain, it's plain and simple. Seek the welfare in the city. And I haven't not coached a sports team for over a year. And there's been such a huge blessing in being able to be in the city and have opportunities for relationships. And I know people are, are different. We have different seasons and, and my buddy has a different schedule, but every time I talk to him, there's a new person he's met at the coffee shop in town. And I'm like, how do you know? And how do you fund? I'm not going to ask how you fund all your coffee. Like that's a lot of coffee and a lot of conversations, but for whatever reason, that's kind of his ministry. And he's, he's not like a theologian. Like we have great conversations and, and, and because of how God's gifted me and, and gifted him, I've been able to kind of help him and grow, but he has all these contacts and he's seeking the welfare of the city in the coffee shop with all these people who tribally don't 
aren't his tribe, and he's not conforming to their ideas, but he's sharing the gospel and sharing the hope with them, and he's meeting all these people, and it, it challenges me a little bit to go, man, how fast do I get in and out of my coffee shop and in and out of my meetings at coffee shops? And he knows everybody at the coffee shop in like all of Paso. I'm like, wow, I didn't know that many people in Paso went to that coffee shop, but you know them all. And their whole like life story and heritage, like ancestry.com background stuff, kind of creepy, but I'm like, dude, that's, that's impressive. You can go that deep, that quick over a cup of coffee. He must drink a lot slower than me. And another guy, you know, Scott Lipscomb, who it costs him to not be impoverished, but to hang out with people in poverty. He has to go to the store, buy all the ingredients, make the burritos twice a week, gives up his mornings to go serve and, and feed the homeless. And oftentimes it's always a celebration. Hey, so-and-so's in rehab. Oh, great. Which turns into relapse. And you know that's so hard. And some of you are like, I'm not called to that ministry. I don't have patience. I know. Thankfully, God gave him patience. And he's there consistently, patient, praying, helping. But he's seeking the prosperity of the city. He's praying for it. And as a church, we're saying, okay, this is what Jeremiah 29 really is about is the call to be in the city, be praying for the city, but first we have to get the city of God in our hearts. We have to get God's love in our hearts, his law written on our hearts so that we can go in love like Jesus, serving the city selflessly, giving our lives, giving our time. And once they established the presence in the city and begun to seek its peace, God's people were to pray for its prosperity, praying for prosperity, not just being present, and looking for peace, but pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Verse seven, this is the biblical version of that proverb, a rising tide lifts all boats. When we're active in the community, then the community can't help but notice the light and say, hey, you're like a light on a hill. Yeah, Jesus said that. Well, I can't stop looking at it. What's going on? And then we'll have a reason to share with them for the hope we have in Christ. You know, Christians usually think about the city as something to avoid, but God does not tell his people to, to seek peace in the city, but he tells them to seek the peace of the city, seek the peace for the people, before the people, and to establish those relationships. And one of the best ways to seek the peace of the city is through prayer. And as we pray, for, we have to go, okay, I don't want them there, but I think they should be on there, Lord. Okay, I'll pray for them. And then let him start to prepare your heart for how you can change your attitude towards your neighbor or change your attitude towards your boss or your employee and say, okay, how am I going to really seek their peace? How am I going to pray for their prosperity? We see that Jesus, like Jeremiah, wept over Jerusalem. They wept that it's the town where they killed Jeremiah. They killed the prophets like Jeremiah and they killed Jesus Interestingly enough, they both were calling out the hypocrisy of the religious system, and they both fell victim to it. At the end of the day, they didn't like that they were attacking their religion that said, no, we want to be tribal, and we're going to attack you because you're telling us we need to love people we don't want to love. We want to, and their hometowns both rejected them. And, and as Jesus was killed, interestingly, when God made this promise, it was all about the plans he has for us, which his ways are our ways, his thoughts are our thoughts, and his timing 
certainly isn't our timing and it, and it often leaves us a little confused when it's like, you're allowing this to happen now? Because this could have happened any other time. And sometimes you're like, wow, praise God, this happened now. But most of the time, it's not our way. It's not our thoughts. And we see that we're, as believers, we're not afraid of death. And we don't need to be rich. We don't need to get ahead. We don't even need to live. As you see the example of when the, the plague came through and everyone was leaving the cities, the Christians are the one who stayed and said, I, I know I might die, but I'm going to serve the sick and dying. And many did die. And, and the world took notice and said, wait a minute, most people were in the city to make money, to have power and to live however they want. But then when times got harder, it was kind of life or death. They left, but the Christians stayed to care and love. Something's different. What is that? And the interesting thing is that's the principle that's saying, no, I'm for the city. I want to be known by my love for those, especially those that, that might be against. And it's not a power grab. It's not trying to oppress people that, to be a dominant. It's, it's the opposite. It's to come and serve. And Jesus, when he came and served the city, he went into the city of God, Jerusalem, but he was thrown out. And Hebrews, the author of Hebrews that's talking about Jesus and reflecting gets to, towards the end in, in, in chapter 13, and it wasn't just a symbol with Jesus. It was reality in Hebrews 13, 12, and 14. So Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. That new covenant that Jeremiah was talking about from God saying, I'm going to put my law in your hearts. And, and if you seek me, you're going to find me. And the end of it was, and I'm going to forgive you. And I'm not going to remember your sins no more. That was the promise and Jesus said, hey, check it out. Here's my body, here's my blood. And the new covenant of my blood is for the, will be shed for the forgiveness of sins. And the author of Hebrews was reflecting on that and he was saying, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we're looking for the city that is to come. Jesus suffered outside the gate. That means that he died on the cross outside the city. He was forsaken. He was cosmically thrown out of the city of God because God forsook him. God, his father, could not have anything to do with sin. And so he experienced that hell, that separation from the presence of God as it were on the cross. Jesus was thrown out of the city of God so that you and I can come into the city of God. There was no way we could earn our way in. Jeremiah was saying, you guys keep acting like you're good, but you're actually evil. There's no good in you. And then Jeremiah said, there's going to be a new covenant, a new way to get into right relationship with God. And Jesus came and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, but through me. No one gets into the city of God, but through me. And so as the elements are passed, we, we see so clearly, yet again, every week we take communion because it's always been about Jesus even in Jeremiah, it was not about the Jews in Jeremiah. It was about them being prepared, them pointing to Jesus coming. And here we look back and we see that sin deserves to be thrown out of the city. That's why Jesus became sin, was thrown out of the city, killed outside the city gate so that Jesus could take our punishment where we deserve to be killed outside the city so that we might be right as we believe in Jesus, by his grace, we receive that perfect life and we get to be accepted in the city. So Jesus lost the city. 
And as St. Augustine, when you become a believer, St. Augustine said, you have dual citizenship. Now you're a, a citizen of heaven. Now you're a citizen of, of, of God's city. And you're a city that's set on a hill to be a light into a dark world. And so as we leave today, I want you to, to think about that. Am I a citizen of heaven? Have I believed that Jesus died on the cross outside the city? was buried in a tomb and rose again three days and that the shedding of his blood was that new covenant that would guarantee me forgiveness from all my sin. And then I can go into the city of man and be that light and pray for the prosperity because I know God has good plans for me. Even when it doesn't feel good, sound good, or look good, I know he's good and it's for his glory, not my happiness, but my holiness. And I can serve those and I can give my life as, as a sacrifice like my Savior gave his life to save me. I can seek the goodwill and to do good for God's glory and their good. Let's pray. God, we thank you. As we look to your cross again and are reminded that you did so much work and you, and you spared no expense and, and you spent so much time explaining how detailed your love is and, and how great your plan is to see every tribe, nation, and tongue get to believe in you, get to see you, get to seek you. And, and yet, when the Jews felt like they were being abandoned, you were extending a hand to put your people to proclaim your name in the place that they might see you, that they might believe in you as they see the Daniels and they see those in captivity as exiles in Babylon get to share the gospel, get to share you with them. And we see years later when you came that you brought people, the wise men that had scrolls to read about all the wonderful things you promised and they listened and, and sought you out and they got to see Jesus. And as we look back and see his resurrected state, knowing that you gave everything for us, Lord, may we be full of your love and your spirit to go and give everything and serve all those in the city you've called us to for your glory. And we pray for those who've yet to believe or are just now trusting that Jesus, you have this perfect plan and you already paid the price to remove all the things we've said, thought, or done that are against you to make us right with you, that we would have the assurance and the hope that we would be in the city of God forever and that we might live your way, praying for prosperity and peace for the city, Lord, but doing it for your glory. And we pray, Lord, that our relationship with you would grow. We pray for those who are beginning that relationship now would, would be bold and clear in that commitment and, and share with us so we could walk with them and encourage them. In Jesus' name, amen.